Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Full call. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello. Welcome to Bymore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. Well, it's back to domestic rugby this week after a thrilling international break. And this week I'm joined in the studio. He's back from Monaco. It's Gavin Mayers of The Telegraph. Gavin, how are you? Are you considerably richer or poorer? Uh, uh, yes, probably richer of mind, uh, poor, poor of finances. Uh, but you, yes. you found some culture in Monaco because I've never, <laughs> never found any there. Just, just, just good company, you know, good rugby people, Brian, you know, the, the finest were all there, including me. So, uh, yeah, no, good fun, good fun. Well, England players straight back to it. We've got a table here courtesy of the Telegraph's Charlie Morgan and out of 23 international players only six didn't feature yes just shows you in in the constant narrative of player welfare brian we see that uh, we well we 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 contrast Leinster's decision to rest all their, their international players for most of the England boys it was straight back to the Premiership and uh, ahead of two tough weeks of Europe as well so you're making your your point in the Telegraph and the, your column today that raises that point it's just a real difficult decision for a director of rugby of a club who hasn't seen his players for four or five weeks they want them back yeah. the fans want to see them back but also at the back of your mind you've got to be looking at workloads and is this the right thing for the player in the long term. Well, I mean, if you take Exeter out, uh, the players there, that's four of them. So you've only got Ben Teo, uh, Worcester and Owen Farrell, um, you know, at Salas as they can afford yep. to rest players. Uh, you know, for Rob Baxter, I suppose he has to weigh up the longer term interests and they were top of the league. If you're going to take a chance on one, and it was a chance, it came unstuck in the end, but uh, probably now is the only time you would want to do it because when you get towards the end of the season and things are panning out much more specifically, you might not be able to. Yeah, and Brian, I also think this weekend in particular is a time when the teams can sort of forge themselves ahead of Europe if you've got a tough game against Europe next weekend. It's quite difficult for the for the England players, the international players to come into a team without having played at least once or part of a game together. So no, undoubtedly coaches look towards that but it is tough. It is tough and, and uh, you know, I think you can see Rob Bax has probably looked at his front row forwards and thought, you know, they could do with a rest. Um, they had, you know, they, they all played quite a key role for England this autumn. Owen Farrell at Saracens, we know what he's been doing, uh, captaining the country and, and a, such a huge workload. But I think particularly this weekend, Europe plays a, a factor. But otherwise, whether we'll see some more rested over the Christmas period, I think that's more than likely. Well, they went down by two points in 28-26 at Quinns. And of course, Quinns, Thought so, like, resting your front row players, and then you face face Marler and Sinclair, <laughs> and Sinclair, who's improved out of all recognition as a scrimmager. Quinn's sitting in fourth now, but uh, to a large extent, I think it, it's a strange league position for them because whilst they've taken advantage of opportunities like this, 
I wouldn't have said they're necessarily as consistent as they need to be to justify that league position. Yeah, I think with, with Quinns, O'Brien, I think you sort of look, it's been a, a season of change with Paul Gostard coming in. They will have been looking at uh, uh, making sort of short-term and then medium-term adjustments. And I think that that victory over Exeter will have really given them confidence that they are making progress. And as you say, you look at the top four, the top five, another win brings them up to third place. It's a very, very tight league with only really Saracens and Exeter pulling ahead in the top two. So you, the, the, those those clubs from from third down to sort of seventh or even eighth will be looking at the, uh, the possibility of pushing for a top four place. And I think Quinn's... I appreciate what you're saying about consistency and, and that's that's the proof still in the pudding to see can they back this up but I, I don't think we should underestimate the the value of that victory and, and, and the possible implications it could have for their form for the rest of the campaign Well you talked about how many clubs might be looking at the playoff places if you take from well so let's say six downwards there's only a four-point gap between there and the bottom place. So those clubs, they can look upwards. They might have to look downwards as well. I mean, Newcastle strapped a victory uh, you know, away from home at St. 1614, but they still remain at the bottom because uh, Bath uh, managed, uh, contrived to only draw against Sale. Good result for Sale, I think, away. But we're going to lose a side from this league that is well-established and has a lot of good players. Interestingly, looking at this, and I, uh, you look through, so you've got the clubs who started the season knowing they were in a dogfight to avoid relegation. Point you make about possibly having a big name being drawn into this battle. I wonder psychologically if you are Northampton, if you are Leicester, if you are Bath, who are struggling. You know, Bath in sixth place are just three points ahead of the Falcons in, in bottom place. These are sides that were had. Uh, top four aspirations if you're not winning consistently at this point and there is a slight back of your mind as a top player we shouldn't be here then that can almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you start to lose confidence and I, and I would be particularly worried about Leicester and Bath at the minute I know they're, they're slightly ahead but those are two sides that things are not right and they should be way ahead of, of their points uh, accumulated so far and I think psychologically that's where they could have a problem we were mentioned Leicester and we've now got on the line the former Leicester and Saracens and England hooker, George Shooter. Hello again, George. Hello, Maura. How are you? OK, 41-10 lost to Bristol. Even with a man down, Kyle Eastman uh, sent off reasonably early. I, I, you know, I look at Leicester and it, it's been a quite a while since I've thought, when you used to play against Leicester, when you used to watch Leicester, they didn't necessarily play well all the time, but you were made to fight for every single inch and every point when you played against them. And I no longer get that feeling. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Moro. It's, it's a pretty desperate situation that the club's finding itself in now. And as we said, this has been on the cards for quite some time. And we're talking seasons now, maybe three, four seasons, uh, where there's been a gradual decline. Firstly, obviously, they famously didn't make the playoffs. Then they sort of struggled to make the top four, top six. Now, now look where they are, sort of bottom, bottom three or four of the table. And that's not, that's, that's not come around overnight. It's been a slow, slow puncture, for want of a better term, uh, over that period. Um, difficult to put your finger on one, one issue in, in particular, but 
Yeah, right. It doesn't seem to be that fight and that scrap in the, in the squad. You know, losing away, even to a newly promoted team, losing away is, is not a problem. It's tough to win away from home. It's tough to go to the top clubs and, and win, as, as we've seen with Saracens and Exeter. But it's the manner of the defeat. And again, you can look back over the last few years at the, the, the nilling uh, home by Glasgow, nilling by uh, Munster uh, in the European Cup. I know two, two very quality sides, but you've got to get something out of the game. Um, and that's just not the case. Man. It doesn't seem to be that, that fight and that passion and that desire. Which is unusual because you know, look at the team on paper. Saw the team on Friday. I thought, wow, that's, that's a pretty strong team. Um, well, that's exactly that's exactly a point I was going to raise with you. You look at the names on there: the uh, stars like Tuolangi, Ford, and Ben Youngs, and even accounting for the fact they were a man down. You know, they didn't have the influence on the game that I feel they should have. Players like, I mean, Dan Cole. He's got is it seventy or, or more caps for England, and. From my point of view, he should be desperate to get back in the England team. There's no reason why, given his experience and when he's on song, his scrimmaging ability, that he can't force his way back into at least squad contention. And yet, yeah. you just see the sort of performances and the continual problem with him of penalty giving away. You know, and it, 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 I just wonder how honest uh, some of the top players are being with themselves in terms of what they're putting in at club level. I don't believe yeah. that they'll ever do it consciously, but I just wonder in a moment of quiet reflection whether they will be able to say to themselves, you know what, I am giving absolutely everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's hard, hard to hear from a professional that people are doubting what you put on the field, but the, the, the bare fact show it, the, the defence has been all at sea. Uh, they have the worst points, points difference in the league. I think minus 80-odd, minus 79 points. They're not scoring tries. They're not getting bonus points. They're not they're not scrapping everything. And that does come down to players. That's not that's not coaching. That's nothing to do with coaching. It's um, like say, can you look in the mirror and say you've done everything you can today? And I know some people. It's hard to pick people out individually. But someone like Coley, you expect better of him. He expects better of himself. Maybe he's trying too hard. Maybe he's trying to do too much. And maybe that's part of the problem. Is they've got fifteen or twenty blokes out there playing as hard as they can for themselves, but actually not really doing much together as a team. And it certainly looks like that, especially in attack. Well, attack and defence really can t- tell, you, um, tell you a great deal about the seal of the squad. If they're not together, then you're gonna be, there's going to be holes. There's going to be people left out to dry in, in the midfield and, and dog legs and missed tackles. And there's also going to be no shape in attack. And it, it, it is a problem that you, you thought and <laughs> week after week we hear the same thing from, from press conferences about, oh, we've got to go and work harder, work harder. Well, perhaps they have to work a bit smarter than just work a bit harder. There's more to it than, I don't think anyone's been lazy. I don't think anyone's letting the team down in that respect. It's just that things aren't clicking and people aren't in the right place at the right time with and without the ball to affect the games. Um, and that comes down to, I suppose, a bit of the coaching, but that comes down to the player responsibility at the end of the day. You touch on the coaching there and obviously Jordan Murphy in the position in an interim role at the minute. But when you see results like that, do you think that will be damaging to his hopes of, of getting the job on a permanent basis or has he still, do you think, credit in the bank? You know, he's passionate tiger, knows yeah. the club inside out. It's a difficult one. Yeah. And I, just, I think the wrong thing to do at the moment would be to change the coaches again because we've had that cycle for three years now or two and a half years now, gone through three or four head coaches, whatever it is, including Scott Hansen and that. Uh, so clearly that's not working. There's got to be some, some other issue at the club other than the coaching because granted this coaching team is relatively experienced. Geordie didn't do a lot of coaching under Matt O'Connor. Matt was very, very domineering, very much a guy who did everything. 
So Geordie's, Geordie's input in the, in the squad for, for most of that time that O'Connell was here was very limited. So he's not got a huge amount of first team proper coaching experience. Brett's the same. Brett's a fantastic coach. Done great work with the academy and the young guys. Big step up and, and they're asking him to take on a lot. Mark Batewell, yeah, very experienced, but actually when you look at his resume at Bath and places like that, what did he really achieve? Is, is he is he a, a world-class coach? I'm not so sure. So it, it's, it's very, again, very hard in the coaching to single out, single out one person, but you have to look further, I think. You have to look at people who are appointing people. You have to look at recruitment. It's, it's clearly been wrong. On the playing side for four or five years, there's been huge turnover players, huge turnover players every year. And then some of the players you're signing are either injured or injury risks or, or just, quite frankly, not good enough. And, and the same can be said with the coaching. You, you get rid of Richard Cockrell. Maybe that was the right decision. Maybe not. You can argue the toss over that. Maybe it was his time. But then who do you replace him with? Who do you replace someone who's won trophy and been to finals? Who do you replace him with? You find you scour the world, apparently, and you come up with a bloke who was... Uh, who was here not so long ago, and yeah. it just all, all, the whole the whole club from top to bottom needs a bit of a shake up, needs a look at itself. And in the same way we were saying earlier, people at board level need to look in the mirror and say, "Am I doing the best thing for the club? Am I working as hard as I can for the club to make it better?" And if the answer is no, they need to fall on their sword or be ousted. If the answer is yes, they're not frankly not good enough, not up to the job. So it needs to be looked at top to bottom of that. Yeah. George, it's a well-worn phrase, too good to go down, but we've seen uh, in all sports sides like that. Now, you would definitely say that about Leicester, particularly when you see the players who are still available to them if they're fit and, you know, firing. I just wondered this, though. Dog fights for relegation are not easy places to be in. And if you're used to that then it creates a certain mindset. If you're not used to that, it comes with quite a shock. And I just wonder, if it goes on much further, how, if Leicester get dragged into it, certain players will react. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a huge a huge issue. Isn't it? And, and you, you, that, that word relegation does have to rear its ugly head now. And there's no denying that Leicester are in a, a form of relegation scrap. You, you might think they're too good to go down, but I'm sure... Queens and Saints were the same <laughs> not so long ago. And actually, it turned out for both those clubs, relegation was what they needed, a bit of a shot in the arm, a bit of a, a, bit of a slap in the face, and they came back and both won the premiership within a few years of getting promoted. I, I, I dread to think in the modern game, you know, just since like, Queens went down over 10 years ago now, and Saints a bit, a bit longer ago than that, I think in the modern game, actually getting relegated, it's even harder to get back up because you go down to the championship, I assume most of the internationals want to leave because they want to play international rugby. And what you're left with, you're left with a squad of uh, journeymen, what about youngsters, and then actually how do you then recruit? Because teams in the Premiership, while you're in the Championship for one year or whatever long, they'll be getting better, they'll be looking to push on and compete in Europe. Uh, so actually, this, this sort of modern game, actually being relegated, even for a big team, big club, is, is, a, is an issue. And yeah, no, no club's big, too big to go down. If you haven't got the points at the end of the season, you go down, simple as that. And the only thing that can save you is the Championship champions not having the required a uh, ground size or whatever it is you know and, and Leicester are in that now and you could argue if you look at the bottom four or five teams they're the team that's in the poorest run of form you know I, think, I don't know how many games they've lost but certainly won only two out of the last six or eight uh, whereas Worcester Worcester have won Bristol obviously won <laughs> and Newcastle I'm not Newcastle not down there but you know it's, it's, if you look at that table then at the moment if relegation was happening, was happening in two weeks time you'd, uh, you'd worry for Leicester that's for sure yeah, and I suppose, George, if you look at the, the converse of that, clubs, as you touch on there, Bristol and, and Worcester maybe, who were going to be 
uh, gearing themselves up for dogfight. They're winning matches and, and they're probably feeling much better than themselves than, say, yep. Leicester. And I would include Bath in that as well, as and Saints too. I suppose Saints are probably in a similar sort of position as Leicester in, in that they're not winning. They're not. They've not got that sort of team cohesion. But Worcester, Worcester and Bristol look pretty good, and you know, they they've they've played pretty well over the autumn where the internationals have been away at other teams. They use the Premiership challenge, uh, the, the the cup, as a bit of a sort of. Well, Worcester certainly put a first team out for two of those three games and got some cohesion going. Leicester chose the, the opposite way and put put a second team, maybe in the third team, out for most of those games, and maybe, maybe now they're they're sort of reaping the rewards of, of not actually. Putting as strong a team out as possible. Like I say, on, on form, uh, you know, they're, they're they're sort of the, the worst team in the league at the moment. It's, it's incredible to say it, but it's yeah. true. Well, George, we'll leave it there. But I think you're absolutely right about the uh, root and branch, at least reflections that need to go on. Yeah. Whether the action will be taken, whether it needs to be taken, remains to be seen. But uh, thanks for joining us once again. Cheers, guys. Thanks, George. George Shooter, the former. Leicester Saracens and England hooker. And he's right, isn't he? It's a top-to-bottom thing there because this is not something that's happened overnight. Yeah, we've seen a sort of very sort of slow decline of Leicester and it's probably caught all of us up and themselves up. I'll tell you probably why, because in that time over the past few seasons, there have been little patches where they've played really well and everyone said, oh, right, turn the corner, fine. And probably lulled themselves into a false you know, sense of, 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 of normality. And obviously there has, to be fair, been a lot of off-field investment. And, you know, you look at the, st- the stadium now it's and the, the size of the crowd, it's the finest in the country. So there have been off-field All achievements. All the more reason why you should dread relegation. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, no, I think you just wonder what's going on behind the scenes and whether are they are they looking for a world-class coach? Have, uh, you know, have they, did they hope privately that Jordan would come through are they prepared to give him time the pressure will be if if this if this run of results continues then people will start to ask questions above like George has done and um, it's certainly an English institution that shouldn't be where it is at the minute Time now to speak to the former Gloucester in England wing James Simpson Daniel a regular contributor to the show Hello James Hi, how are you? And I understand you were at the wreck yesterday, Bath 7, Sale 7. Sounds like a cracker. Oh, it was, uh, it was pretty bleak. Um, I don't think the sun came up yesterday. It was dark all day at Bath. <laughs> uh, it was rainy. and the only, It wasn't windy, but it was rainy. And the brand of rugby, as you can imagine, kind of um, matched that as well, really. Pretty, pretty dull. Well, Joe, I thought in a singer was spared um, Bath's blushes. This is a quote from Dan Schofield, I tell you, who said, they wrote, there are wheelless caravans less static than Bath's attack, which was once a byword for dynamism and innovation. It's been a long time since we saw that. We've been talking here, because of the table being as it is, from six downwards, Bath are six, Newcastle are 12th, you are talking a matter of, you know, four or five points. Yeah. Leicester should be worried. How worried should Bath be? Well, judging by yesterday's performance, pretty worried. The reason is Sale were by far the better side, um, especially second half. Sale almost played to the conditions a lot better than Bath. Bath were trying to play a little bit too much rugby, really, in tricky conditions where they just needed to, to try and win some field position. But I think the thing that would actually make the 
the Bath faithful um, more nervous was their their defence. You know, I think at one point when we were doing the the commentary stuff, we had the the scream of the stats on, and and it said something like they'd made sixty odd tackles and missed twenty nine or something, <sighs> which was absolutely shocking. Whereas Sale were up at one hundred and twenty tackles with only seven missed. You know, Sale are definitely the side coming away from that thinking that is definitely a game that got away from, you know, that we should have been winning um, and Bath will be the more relieved side. So, but, but again, you talk about the bottom end of the table, I think had a sale won yesterday, that have gone from being bottom up to six. Yeah, exactly. To, you know, which is actually, it's very, it's very nerve wracking if you're, if you're part of those six sides. And I think Bristol will be safe this season. I think Sale will be fine, personally. I think once they get their players fit and keep them fit, I think they'll be absolutely fine with the best scrum half in the league as well, by the way. Yeah. Um, he was outstanding yesterday. And you are you are looking and thinking, well, one of the big big um, big guns could be going down this season, whether that be a, a Leicester, Northampton, or you know, obviously Worcester have, have got a chance as well of going down. i tell you what that stat says to me, the tackle stat. As you know, tackling is a state of mind, generally. Certainly first up tackling is. And when that sort of missed tackle stat comes in, I think you can genuinely ask, you know, where are the players' heads? Where is Where are the hearts, actually? Yeah, and, and we said that in commentary yesterday. In a funny way, if, you, if you're on dry conditions and you're throwing the ball around and, and playing a really loose style of, of rugby, then you can see how missed tackles can come into play. But what's yesterday when it's absolutely miserable, it's hosing down with brain, you know, it's all about just direct running straight. All you've got to do is put your, your body in front of the man and, and, and ride the tack. You know, it's, it's, there's no excuse to have 20-plus missed tackles on, on weather conditions that they had yesterday, um, yesterday afternoon. As you say, it's a mindset of, you know, do you want to go out there and bash it? And that was the home side, Brian. You know, the sales defence was pretty good. And they were the, they were the travelling side. You'd expect a lot more from the home team. As you say there, no excuse. My, my concern for Bath as well, if, if you look at Leinster coming to the wreck on Saturday, there's going to be no hiding place either. And you worry, given that defensive def- performance, the one side you don't want coming to, to pick holes in your defence at the minute is Leinster. And, it, you know, possibly having these back-to-back fixtures could actually have a sort of very damaging impact uh, psychologically for Bath you know, when they return to the Premiership? You, you're bang on. And, and that's the thing, you know, you're preparing, you're doing your analysis today. You know, I wouldn't want to be in that, um, in that room for their analysis they're doing today on, on yesterday's game. But when you are doing that, you're actually looking for positives to take into the following week. And as you mentioned, you've got one of the most ruthless sides in Europe now coming to the wreck on the weekend. And if you've got Sale exposing them at home in, in pretty bleak conditions, what's it like when Leinster come in? The weather, the weather won't be as worse, as bad as it was yesterday, this weekend, and then Leinster are going to come to them. They could absolutely tear them apart, and, and it could be very hard to come back from, like, like you pointed out. And, and then before you know it, the Six Nations will be here, and they'll lose you know, a couple of their key players back to international duties, um, and then they're going to be looking down the barrel, really. And it could be they are another side who could be really nervous come the end of the season you know the last three four games I think their last game of, of the season is against Leicester at Welford Road I think so you know it, it, it's it's a very it's quite nail-biting for a lot of these a lot of these teams but I, I very much agree with you they could be in for a, a very tricky afternoon come the weekend and as you said the following week as well well it might be a tricky weekend coming up for Gloucester because you've got Exeter in the Champions Cup but in terms of the Premiership, uh, another win, 
16 against a Worcester side that have actually performed quite well, you know, in the last few rounds. Are they a good bet for at least a playoff place? I wouldn't be getting carried away just yet. I think, if anything, Gloucester's game has slowly, uh, you know, has got better from where it has been the last, you know, certainly three, four, five seasons. It has got better. It's, it's not there yet. And I think, if anything, it's the sides around them that almost aren't performing, which is, it's almost flattering Gloucester a little bit. If you look at the top two with, with Saracens and Exeter, they're going to be the two that are there at the end of the season at the top. We know that. And then it's just trying to almost make up for who's going to be in that third and fourth place. But the positive for Gloucester at the moment is it was 10-9, I think, at half time um, against Worcester the other day. They then had the ability, rather than getting into this, you know, almost street fight, which they have done um, over the last three or four seasons, and then being in a position to lose the match late and in play, they actually were able to put this Worcester side to the sword a little bit and, and open up a, a gap, you know, give themselves a bit of a, a breathing space. And I think that's what we haven't seen Gloucester do the last two or three seasons. The, the main thing that they've got in their favour now is they've got a very strong 22, 23 players that they could all start, which means that they've got competition amongst each other. Uh, you know, everyone's desperate to get that starting jersey. And I think that is, you know, that's ultimately a good thing for Gloucester. Um, you know, Willie Hines is getting back to full fitness. He's very good. He takes a bit of the pressure off Cipriani. And, and certainly that's the, long, that's the long-winded answer of, do I think they could nick fourth? They could. They wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be thinking they'd be winning the premiership this season, though. Just a final question before uh, you go. How important has Ed Slater been uh, as a recruit down there? He's been really good. Very fortunate to to have actually spoken to him a few times. Our kids go to the same school. So I'm, I'm like one of these ex... I'm like a supporter now, <laughs> chewing his ear off in the playground um, and sort of saying to him how things... But he's, he's actually a really nice guy. You know, he's brought a bit of, of what he'd have learned in the Leicester environment over to Gloucester, he's, a, he's very um, he's very down the line. You know, he's, he's, no, he's not a prima donna. He's obviously very hardworking. Uh, I think he's been a you know a good captain. And everyone kind of said, well, you know, why do you let Johnny May go? Johnny wanted to go, but actually Slater is a real positive to be able to bring in. We've got to leave it there, James. But thank you very much for uh, speaking to us once again. Pleasure, James Simpson, Daniel, former Gloucester and England wing. You wonder, with the contribution Slater is making, and James is actually right, he, you know, basically he's a very straight, honest, hard-working, good guy, and you wonder how much Leicester are missing him. I think they're missing him a lot. He's a great, great signing. One of those sort of signings that don't catch the eye, don't yep. don't necessarily feature in a headline, but when you're Johan Ackerman putting together a, a, a package weekend, um, he's, he's the foundation stone. Because when we were talking earlier about the conundrum of trying to juggle internationals here, there and everywhere, because he probably isn't international class, but just below that... He's going to be an ever-present, an anchor around which you can build whatever side you want to put out every week. And you have total control of. Yeah. He's your player, and as you say, it's like having an international, but without having the international commitments and duties and and injuries and and all the loss of form, gaining form, all the whirlwind that comes around with international representation. Um, He's he's been... um, a sort of a we talk about consistency. He's a he's a guy that Gloucester know they can rely on, and he's delivering the goods for them. Well, the Scarlets have announced that uh, Brad Moore will be the head coach following Wayne Pivak's departure at the end of the season because he's going to take over from Warren Gatland 
as the Wales head coach after the World Cup. Uh, he's been the assistant coach of the Crusaders, working under Scott Robinson for the past three seasons. I must admit, probably my fault, I don't know that much about what he will bring, do you? Well, Brian, a man after your own heart, he's actually a qualified solicitor. That barrister. means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he could still be a fool. <laughs> this seems to be a very shrewd appointment, Brian. He's been part of the Crusaders setup. They've been back-to-back Super Rugby champions and learned a lot under Robertson there. And I think one of the key things that probably the Scarlets have identified, he's He's been credited with a lot of their expansive style mm. and that's been sort of Scarlet's go-to game plan of recent years. And um, you know he's, he's had quite a lot. He's 44, but a lot of experience. He's been head coach at the Southland Stags in the, the Mitre 10 Cup. He's also worked in South Africa with Eastern Province Kings. I think they were unbeaten in the Curry Cup Division 1 under his, his coach. At that point, he was taking the attack and backs. So you can see a theme there that he's going to come in. Probably the Crusaders have described as, as um, intelligent and insightful. Mm-hmm. So back to his uh, his law background, Brian. You oh, wish, <laughs> wish, him the, wish him the best of luck. Time now to speak to Scott Vardy, the Leinster and Australian lock. Healthy win for Leinster over the Dragons, 59 points to 10. Scott, how many of the internationals have reported back for training? Yeah, well, they were all here training uh, last week, so they've all been involved in our prep uh, leading towards uh, towards uh, Newport last week and uh, obviously going to be involved this week. How much of a benefit will this the, the rest for the key players be this week? Obviously, you're looking towards the Bath game. Yeah, you know, I think you know, rest is always important. Um, I'm sure, yeah, you know, with their centralised system, of, of, obviously these guys are quite used to that. And um, yeah, you know, when I say rest, I think you know they've, they've obviously worked very hard over the last month. So yeah, you know, I think it's also a bit of work done in these times as well. So an opportunity to look after your body and get it right. Sure. And when you look at a scoreline of 59-10, is this an indication of the incredible sort of strength and depth at the minute of the Leinster squad? Yeah, you know, I think it's obviously that's pretty obvious from the outside to see, but I think it's also the you know the confidence the coach is showing these young guys and the work that they've put into them as well. So I think they're improving guys around me. So you know we want competition within the squad, and young players coming up are, are doing a fantastic job of that. And a ferocious enthusiasm, I'm sure they're bringing, keeping you keeping you young as well. Yeah, so that a few times they're keeping me young, and that's for sure. So. You know, one uh, Scott Penny. I'm 15 years older than him, so yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I've said before, I'm excited to be part of the start of their journey. You know, I think um, obviously a big future ahead of for a lot of them. So yeah, to be part of them, and you know, hopefully kick on and, and go well in their rugby careers. And, uh, how much of it all do the preparations change for a uh, European as opposed to a domestic uh, weekend? Well, we try to make it pretty similar. I think. I think with guys. You know, you guys get, obviously get their opportunities in those in the get last couple last couple of weeks. So I suppose Newport, you know, they need to know what it's like to for every week to do the same. So, you know, things don't change for us. You know, we still train in the same amount of time. We just, you know, the intensity lifts from from the players in, and we've got to drive that. Scott, if you look at the Australian side and the squad on paper, lots of very big names there. But how will the uh, reverses in the autumn internationals be going down at home. Well, obviously people are upset about those, and yeah, I think they've made wasn't wasn't a great series for us, but um, you know there's, there's still room for improvement in the squad. So um, you know, hopefully 
they've got some a lot of time. I know they've got to camp early next year, so got a lot of time together and and, and to build. You know, it's a simulation before last World Cup, and obviously built got to the final, so um, you know, confident they can they can go and do the job. Now, so we've also got to discuss something uh, from a few years ago as we've uh, teamed up with Dove Men Plus Care, with the official supplier to the England and Ireland international teams, and this year. They've been celebrating the spirit of rugby with the Telegraph, lauding those who will go above and beyond with an outstanding act of care on or off the field. Now, you were in Japan. You were playing it for the uh, Kamashi Sea Waves 2011 earthquake struck Japan. Can you tell us what you remember of that moment? Yeah, it's a, it's a decent amount of time ago now. So uh, I was just, yeah, just in my apartment at home. And like a change and just started inside my apartment. And obviously a huge earthquake um, struck, I think it was the third or fourth biggest of all time, so we're pretty close to the epicenter of it up there in Kamashi. So, yeah, just uh, I was quite safe in in some ways. So I was up the end, of, I was down the down Long Valley. So it's same town. The front of the town sits on the ocean, but uh, I was you know further west of the town, so or the far western end of the town. So fairly safe in terms of tsunami threat, but um, yeah, tsunami obviously took out the whole front end of the town and, and did a incredible amount of damage to, to the town and the scale of which I didn't know at the time because uh, we lost a lot of power we lost power and stuff for a week or so so yeah it was a pretty scary time Well I understand that the Australian embassy came to you and offered you a way home but you decided not to take it what, why not? A lot of my friends I think would do the same thing people a lot of guys I've played alongside and do the same thing you're in a team and you're part of that team and um I'd, I'd been living in the town for two years and other guys had been there for even longer, so other foreigners that were doing the same thing. So, yeah, it was an easy decision, essentially. And I think a, a lot of people that I know would make the same decision themselves. So how did how did you help out during the uh, during the recovery process? So, yeah, we essentially just unloaded supply trucks that came in with food, rice from all over, the generous people from all over Japan and, and all over the world actually were sending food and supplies to... To the, that area of Japan, so um, Kamashi was a bit of a hub for those for smaller towns that were even you know more harder hit than, than Kamashi was. So we kind of yeah we just unloaded trucks and reloaded other smaller vehicles and helped out where we could. What does it mean to you, and how would you feel knowing that Kamashi has recovered and will be hosting uh, at the World Cup next year? Yeah, no, it's a fantastic um, to have a small town. You know, essentially in, in rural Japan getting the opportunity to host such be part of the event I guess you know I think to get two games up there is something incredibly special and I think it's a, it's a real opportunity for, for people to see a different different part of Japan you're probably used to the lights of Tokyo and Osaka and those things it's it's very rural up there it's very different very traditional so it's amazing for the town to be able to welcome so many internationals to there at one point when I was there it was pretty much it was only about half a about a dozen foreigners in that, in that kind of area, so there wasn't many at all. Scott, we'll leave it there, but thank you for speaking to us, and best of luck with the rest of the season. Oh, thanks very much, yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks Scott. Mate. For listeners wanting to see this video, then head over to TGR, stop PH forward slash Dove Rugby, where you can also see equally exceptional acts from Samisa, Rockendanguni and Jack Noel. The link will also be in the show notes for you to find. The man inside the shirt with Dove Men Plus Care. 100% designed for men. Now, I think what this round of fixtures shows, bearing in mind its proximity to Europe, 
It shows what a difficult juggling job directors of rugby head coaches, whatever you call them, have got to try and put together a coherent campaign when they lose players you know, for long periods to internationals, then they have injuries, then they have loss of form, then they're forced to look at a domestic agenda, then a European agenda and so on. It must be hellishly difficult to plan. Yes, and I think you could see coaches, directors of rugby, you know, they talk about having blocks of games and, and you know, the first six, you have Europe. Uh, Europe's always had that problem in the in the fixture list of being a bit bitty. So there's two games, two games, two games. You know, I, I can remember having arguments with, with directors of rugby 10 years ago about whether, you know, we, there should be much more of a split where you get a run of games in Europe so everybody's playing on the same playing field. And, and um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see when we finally see the shape of the new season in this part of the global calendar whether there's a little bit more thought given to that but yeah I mean it's it's incredibly difficult and I think this is the month December is always the toughest month particularly I think from a premiership side when you look at the Irish and the Scottish Welsh regions may be able to rest some of their players this week in particular to freshen things up to go again you know, we talk about the, the relegation dogfight. That's just not afforded to the Premiership clubs. Well, also what it means is, because you've got two fixtures only consecutively here or there, it means if you get some form, you're immediately interrupted. Conversely, it gives you an opportunity if you've had, you know, a couple of bad games to try and uh, put that right. But even so, the amount of work you can, you can do is limited. And, of course, you've got to remember... You know, different players, when they're away on international duty, different systems, different calls, you know, and, and so on. It all takes some getting used to. So not only is it a question of trying to be coherent and consistent, but you're working against a system which, even if you get it right, it almost makes it, you know, a series of one or two off games, which, which can, as we know, can go anywhere. One thing in its favour this the next two weekends is it's sort of it's back to back matches, so you have a chance you're playing the same team twice effectively home and away, which I, I suppose gets a little bit of consistency of opposition. But Brian, this these round of matches really define your European campaign. You get to you've played four. If you haven't won at least three, you're starting to think you're gone, and um, that's that's the challenge for the clubs is to still be in with a chance of qualifying before we get to January. And some clubs who may lose this weekend may see their European hopes effectively ended and then that can distort the ultimate outcome of the of the pool because those sides can switch off in January. And that well, I mean, distort. one team that have got this right more often than not, obviously Saracens, can rest Owen Farrow and still dispatch Wasps very comfortably. Um, huge squad depth... But they've got a lot of their internationals back. You wonder how that will play out toward the end of the season. Die Young must be, he must be very frustrated at Wasps. Because when you look at the squad available to him when they're all fit, and yet I read virtually the same comment from him after every game, which was lack of consistency, too many basic errors. Yeah, um, it's, as you say, it's been a, a common theme when they lose. I, mean, I love watching Wasps oh, they're, they're, great they're watch, a great yes. team to watch a great team to report because you're always going to get a story it can be a brilliant win or it can be a surprise defeat um, I think if you're die young you want consistency <laughs> and you want to be at the top of the league and you want to be seeing the investment that 
on the field of the players come through. They've got a great stadium. We talked about Leicester. I love going to the Rico Arena. When it gets when it's full, it's almost like a, a mini test match. At the minute, they're just not backing up those performances and this season will be key because they don't want to lose players. A bit of chat. Elliot Daly might be looking elsewhere. There's, there's, they, they want to keep that squad intact and build on it. And um, as you say, consistency and, and injuries have been a problem uh, to be fair to die that that more than most they've had a, to confront those injury problems but without consistency they're not going to they're not going to win trophies time now to talk about women's rugby and the Terrell Premiership 15s there were a full round of fixtures and we are now going to speak to Susie Appleby who is the Gloucester Heartbreak coach hello Susie hi Brian how are hey, you how are you okay yeah, I'm good, thanks. Look, a very convincing win over DMP Shark, 64-0. You're only a point behind uh, Wasser in fourth. When you started the season, did you have uh, a place in the table you know, as a goal or is it the old cliche of every game, one at a time? Well, it, well, it is one game at a time because we're looking for the performance rather than the, the table position. However... We have to aim for the top now because we got fourth last year and almost accepted that fourth was okay, but fourth isn't good enough. So um, we're aiming for the top, top of the table now, and and nothing else is good enough really. And that's the mindset we've had, but we're just not not achieving that right now. Well, uh, Zoe Allcroft, Kelly Smith both chimed in with hat tricks. How have they found their time with the Red Roses? Uh, they've had a fabulous time, um, um, a really good autumn international series. Um, the challenge then is to come back to the club and kind of replicate that performance. And both Zoe and Kelly did that on on Saturday, and consequently really raised our team performance. So that's what we're hoping for the hoping for in the second half of the season. Well, the the fact is that there are big scores in the uh, Tyrrell Premier 15s every week. I just wonder because you look, say, for example, look at Sarri's sixty odd points against the Worcester Valkyries. It's not good that uh, some teams are winning by that margin and some teams are losing. When do you think the standards will even out so we don't get these big disparities? You know, right now, Brian, they're sitting probably with a top six and a bottom four, mm-hmm. and that's reality. You know, both all, all the teams have had the same amount of investment. Uh, Worcester, for example, play at a very big club. So... Uh, I don't know when that gap is going to close. Our challenge is we don't want to be a, a fifth, sixth team. We want to be top two. So we're trying to push our standards and, and raise it. We've got an amazing setup here at Heart, Heartbury in combination with Gloucester. So, yeah, it's frustrating that, you know, you've got those poorer teams down at the bottom. And that's the reason why we can't look at on Saturday's performance. Yes, we'll take a great win. And yes, um, you know, it's great to get those kind of scores. However, you know, Bristol is a huge challenge on Saturday and those are the kind of games we need to win now. Well, Bristol went down at home 10 points to 39 to Quinn's uh, ladies and their flying wing, Cowell, uh, had a hat-trick. How good is she? Uh, um, Heather Cowell's a, a young player. She was with the Development Sevens with me when I was um, working with England. Um, she's a, a very quick player. You know, her brother Connor plays, plays Sevens, OK, so she's obviously got gas. Um, she's still a developing player. She's probably not a, a physical specimen like the likes of Kelly Smith who have been around in the top of the game for, for several years now but Heather is a real prospect for the future Quinns are a very very strong outfit um, so uh, you know it's no disgrace to, to, to lose to Quinns necessarily however you know like I, I keep going back to we have to 
we have to get a win on Saturday against Bristol and then we have to target those top three. Well, Loughborough Lightning were top of the league until last week's defeat against Saracens, but they bounced back with a win over Wasps. Initial difficulties with Wasps scoring early try and then a nervy last 10 minutes. When I was involved uh, more hands-on with uh, women's rugby, Wasps were the side. Is there any prospect of them returning to that sort of status? Yeah, yeah, Wasps are a really good side. Those, there's probably a clear top three, and Loughborough have edged away, um, I believe, purely because of excellent recruitment. You know, Katie Daly McLean makes a huge difference, obviously. Um, they recruited a really good um, England, England prop. And then obviously Sarah Hunter. Those kind of combinations speak for themselves, which is why they're heading up the table or sitting in second. Um, Wasps, yes, are a good outfit. We played them last week. The, the annoying thing about last week, Brian, as you probably know, is the clash with England meant that most teams were under strength. And the, the score lines ne- don't necessarily reflect, you know, the, the the performances that teams should have been putting on that week. So that aside, Wasps are a top four side, and obviously, as you know, those London sides still do clearly lead the way in, in terms of um, paving the way for the for the women's game. So not a lot has changed there, but there's other teams like ourselves, like um, Leicester Lightning, who are really, you know, trying to keep up there, keep our standards high and, and, and keep producing those players for England, which is what our role is all about. Can I just finally ask you, what, what effect will the uh, professional contracts that are given out by England, I think there are 28 of them, how do they affect how you plan strategies with, uh, at club level? For us, it doesn't have a massive effect. We, we run a full-time programme here at Hartbury because of the combination with the uni programme. So ourselves and Loughborough Lightning already have you know, rugby going on almost, you know, 24-7. Those clubs are only are used to a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule right now and now having to put on extra sessions for those players. Um, So for us, we're probably adding a few extra players. We're getting more support from, you know, the Gloucester Gloucester men set up and and the Hartbury men set up to provide those, you know, the higher the higher tempo training sessions that the girls are going to really push them to the limits. But the biggest thing for the players that is going to, they're going to be able to get their rest and recovery and maybe give up some of those jobs that, you know, they had to do right now. So that's the hope that they get their rest and recover. They're able to train like full-time athletes, which will enable them to be the best they can be heading towards 2021. Susie, we've got to leave it there, but thank you very much for joining us. Best of luck uh, for the rest of the campaign. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks, Susie. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. Thank you to my co-host Gavin Mears and as always my producer Abby Patterson. Make sure you're subscribed because after all it's already free and if you haven't done so please leave a review so we know what you think of the podcast and so that other people can find us too. Till next time, it's goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.